Welcome to Dietcast, your Dietland recap podcast, uh, brought to you by a couple of comedians. Uh, I'm Erin, and I'm joined by Susie. Hi, Susie. Hello. Good morning. This is a morning episode. It's it feels weird. I just rewatched this episode, so it would be fresh in my mind. And this is not really a morning show. Yeah, it's not like a pick me up. You know, get your day going. It does give me a certain motivation for my day, but yeah. I don't know how positive it is. Not one society condones, so that's fine. Um, this episode starts off, we're kind of back to Teen Goth Plum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like it on her, you know, it works. Yeah, and it's not like, it's not billowy dress Teen Goth. Like, she's still wearing like a structured cool outfit. So it's still an improvement from beginning Plum, who sort of seemed to not care or just wanted to drape. Um, and I love an all black outfit, so good on her. It's true. Nothing, nothing beats that. Uh, she's intercepted by a couple of women in the park, and I feel like if I, you know, not that I'm ever going to be in a position to abduct someone, but I just feel like this is the smoothest abduction of all time. Very smooth. It helped that she did not in any way hesitate or <laughs> fight back, so that was good. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fast opening, um, a no body count opening. And, uh, we immediately learn that our, all of our questions of Jennifer are about to be answered. I love that we get a second bunker episode. I know. <laughs> I know. I kept in my head. I was like, it's like the Jenna bunker or like the bunkifer. I couldn't, I couldn't decide on the right name. For Ooh, it. I like bunkifer. Thanks. Yeah. I have a lot to say about the bunker, but we'll wait till we actually get there. So my question was, do you think Plum was expecting these women in the park? I don't know. Do you? Well, because she doesn't fight, I wondered if she mm-hmm. had anticipated it. Yeah. And, and the timeline on this episode is nonlinear, which I didn't. I thought it was, but they didn't. I don't think they explicitly said that. So it did it was kind of like, oh, um, is this picking up immediately from the last episode or something happened? So you don't know that. So knowing what we know later in the episode, maybe she was expecting it. And that's a really good point because I think the bunker is kind of what's happening in the present time, but we get all these different um, kind of cutaways and flashbacks in this episode, which may make our narrative a little bit uh, wonky to follow, but of course it'll make sense if you've seen the episode, mm-hmm. which hopefully you have, or we're really going to ruin everything for you. Yeah. One big spoiler is that the credits are a minute and 39 in, which is they are slashing old records. So that was good. <laughs> that was interesting. What? Uh, that's really fast. Yeah. It's just kid. There's like the opening cartoon, which is another great cartoon I thought. And then, um, kidnap and straight into credits. I like how practical the kidnappers are where they put drops in her eyes so she can't see because it would be just real weird to be driving down a highway with a blindfolded woman in the back seat. I know, what a hot kidnapping tip. Um, not that I really think anyone should be kidnapping, um, but I did not know that. They're very creative. One of the first cutaways we get, remember, we kind of wondered what happened to supportive mom. Mm-hmm. And supportive mom is back. So this, I guess to try to situate it in time is sort of after she's left Calliope house. And I guess after she's been assaulted, so she's really distressed. 
Yeah. Yeah. And mom is just as good a mom as she ever has been. Um, Plum at one point says to her, like, you don't have to get on a plane every time I have a feeling, which like I get her mother may also be a little bit overbearing, but um, she's really worried about Plum. And she also talks quite a bit about the bypass surgery, which I think is interesting. Her mom is very happy to find out Plum has canceled the surgery. And I have mixed feelings about that because, again, it's sort of these things where, like, the things women do to feel less hated and hateful of themselves in this world, um, it's hard to pick on those for me. So, like, a bypass surgery is is a mechanism for for a lot of people to feel better, whatever the dangers may be around it, that I actually don't really know and that I think maybe um, the show really hits on. So... I hope this show doesn't make anyone who's had bypass surgery feel shameful about that. And I think there's no one who doesn't disagree that it would be great to just love your body at any size, but that that's not always possible. But her mom is supremely relieved. She's clearly been worried about it. Um, and and she hopes Plum can just like live her life now, which is very sweet. I'd like to call this mom sometimes. Just once, even. I feel like this could be a service. Like call a call a supportive mom. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just a phone line where like a woman says things to you like, and now you can live the life you really deserve. I know. Or you could call them like, oh hey, like mom, I did really great on something at work. And instead of them just like not answering you, which may happen for some people, I don't know, uh, they would say something positive back to you. Yeah, like it's so great to see you recognize, sweetheart. Maybe we could start this after we're done this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for. We'll be your supportive yeah. moms. What else? Who else is calling her? Sana is calling her, and Plum is ignoring it uh, for the time being. Yeah, um, and she's she's in her apartment. Uh, gotta say, I love that couch. I can't tell if she's just draped a blanket over it or what it is, but it's beautiful. I love a pattern couch. Um, and Lita is on the news and news Lita starts talking to Plum. So we get a bit of a tiger episode feel here where Plum is sort of talking to, uh, someone who's not there. I thought that too, because there is that surreal element where Plum is kind of imagining a number of conversations with Lita throughout the course of the show. One thing I find really interesting about the newscast is so they're talking about, so Lita is being um, sought in association with Stella Cross's murder in particular. And they've done a poll and the poll says the majority of Americans don't support Jennifer, but that younger women and minorities do support the ideas of the terrorist group. And so, because we picked up on a number of interesting ways that this show tries to address and incorporate race issues yeah, yeah. that that this I thought was interesting where they're kind of this poll, you know, I would see it as coming from a conservative news organization being used to paint everybody with the same brush. Oh, look at all these folks sympathetic to the terrorists. Yes. Yeah. And they're full blown calling them terrorists now. Um, yeah. I thought that was interesting too. And I can't say that I, I feel all that comfortable all the time with Jennifer's tactics either, though the thing that they're doing is they are constantly in the media and they have started this huge, like they have saturated um, the culture with their message. So that part is always interesting is that their tactics have been extremely questionable, but they have done something to ignite 
But at the same time, that can re- just result in pushback. Like that doesn't always mean change. So yeah, uh, fake Lita is talking about putting Jack on a list, not to kill, but to maim. Yeah, the B list. Yeah. Uh, she says there's a, ri- a list for sort of rape, which is what Plum is calling what happened with Jack. And I think that's interesting. I think it is very real and true because it is those kinds of situations. I think they're sometimes called date rapes. So even that term for me is a bit eh, because most rapes I think are date rapes just because people tend to know the person anyway. They're not stranger rapes. So yeah. So Plum is talking about what happened in the last episode, but she, you know, and she's obviously distressed. So let's talk a bit about that because so she does get together with Sana, and while the two of them are together, she tells her what happened, and she also kind of goes through some of her internal thoughts about um, the assault she's experienced. Um, one really interesting conversation, I think one that happens all the time, is that someone will say, oh my God, you should call the police, and a victim might say, well, that's not the fight that I want to fight right now. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Plum. Like, sh- her life is already upside down. And she talks in this episode about how much she misses her old normal life that she was dissatisfied with, but it was at least uh, calmer. So, you know, if you think about so just this, per- this character alone, calling the police, oh, now she's in a police investigation. Now she's going to trial. Now she has a lawyer, all of these things. Like that is so disruptive when, you know, frankly, you can't blame someone for being like, I just need to deal with this and move on. Like, why would I invite even more chaos and trauma and and drama, frankly, into my life? I think one thing that I find really profound about this scene is I think this is the first time I've seen this on television, is that she runs through a lot of I think pretty heartbreaking and pretty common thoughts, like all the things she says, you know, it um, like, oh, I could have fought harder or, you know, it just seemed easier to like, just let him and, or, you know, how could I even defend myself? You know, I drank, I went to his house, yeah. I, you know, wore a short skirt, what like all that kind of stuff. And so I found that that moment is really profound and familiar, I think probably to a lot of women observing this scene. And that's some of the real strength of this show is I think illuminating those sort of private dialogues that women have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was very uncomfortable to watch the actual assault in the last episode, but in a way now that they're able to, you know, I'm glad often you see like gratuitous assault on TV, but no one deconstructs it later. So it is not that I ever want to watch that again, but to see her work her way through it. And I think especially how specific they are about the consent, like that she was saying no and saying she wasn't comfortable, but in the actual moment, um, she, you know, she didn't, she didn't elbow him in the face behind, like we're taught in a, in a <laughs> um, self-defense class. I don't know if you ever took one of those back in the nineties. That was the I only did, way to yeah. prevent rape in the nineties was just like, keys to the eyes and then um you had to scratch uh-huh. their skin to get um to get samples under your fingernails do you remember that i do and i remember yeah, a move where you kind of like backhand yes. their nose you try to break their nose yeah. and get away that's and they the gave only you one a I little remember. baton in addition to the whistle i remember my sister got a little baton like very small like i didn't get a baton 
it was tiny. It went on your keychain, and that that whistle and that baton uh, were the only ways to prevent rape in the '90s. So um, I'm glad we've moved to a place where we've realized, oh, you could just tell men not to do it. But um, yeah, but that actual physical moment where where he assaults her, which is very difficult, but she doesn't she doesn't do that, right? Like she doesn't pull out her whistle or break his nose, and. And that's where this, these gray areas come. And I think it's so important to see this and say, like, at that point, you, you, it's, you know, you're frozen. She froze and couldn't fight back. And people take for granted that you're like of sound mind in these situations, and you can, and you can be aggressive. But I think it's more often true that you, you freeze. You t- maybe you disassociate. So, yeah, I'm very happy they're showing this on TV as much as it makes me very sad. Also that she mentioned she was a virgin. You know, I really like this moment too, where she says, at least I'm still a virgin because I thought, I mean, virginity is an idea about purity. Right. And I was like, I think that that's something that like your rapist can't take from you. You know? So I like that. She's like, you know, it's, he harmed me bodily and spiritually and emotionally, but, you know, I still get to decide these things about myself. You know, he doesn't get to uh, characterize me in a certain way, or I, I, I don't know, I'm not articulating this terribly well, but I like that she doesn't think he's taken that from her too. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, yeah. And I'm sure that's, you know, a debatable point, but I thought that was interesting. And I think you're right where, so I think last episode I was saying I wasn't sure if I liked this storyline and it was going to depend on how they handled it. And now I'm really into it. I think they've done a really good job of a very delicate topic. They have. And they've spent a good amount of time talking about it instead of just showing the scene and then moving on, you know, like... I guess just to close out this scene where they're just talking in an art gallery. I'm going to start having my, you know, confidential conversations in art galleries. Um, Agreed. And I loved the art. It was very beautiful. I love that. Yeah, gallery. it's cool. I wonder if that's a real space. Mm-hmm. Um, so now wants Plum to come back to Calliope House. Um, Plum is uh, definitely not going to do that. She's moving on to better bunkers. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then and then because we can't have an episode without him, our number two character, Dominic, kind of comes up next because Plum is trying to call him, but he's not even answering. And so she leaves him kind of a like snarky message, I think, and just hangs up. And what's sad about this is she tells Sana that she has Steven as a support, but her internal monologue is that she feels like she can't call him or go to him right now. Yeah. So I feel sad about that just because I like the Steven character aside from him kind of making that real shitty turn uh, the last time we see him. But I think we know is that he would be there and he would be, he would, he would be upset to know she hadn't called. So it's, and and I think anyone can understand that feeling where you don't reach out because you feel like you're disconnected from everyone, but you know, it's too bad. It's a good reminder that your friends want to hear from you when you need help. They don't, they don't want you to ignore them. Oh, that's such a good point. Cause I think we feel like a burden a lot or ashamed to ask for it, but you're right. I think he would want her to call. I agree. I 
I have this like printed out poem in my bathroom that is like my, okay, I'm losing my mind. Let me go read this poem. And it has a line that's just like, you're about just like your friends want to help you. Like, don't, I have to remind myself of that because I'm just like, no, I'll fix everything on my own. But that's not true. Um, People are there. So the next scene is hard. And again, a really great thing to watch because for me, it's like the manifestation of all of the negative self-talk women especially are so good at because I think it's a lot of plum you know, like trying to talk herself through all of the things she's processing, um, but also a lot of negative self-talk, I think, as well. Yeah, it's interesting because we were just talking about this yesterday and how sort of normalized negative self-talk is uh, because Plum perceives that she's ruining everything she touches. And it's funny where I thought, oh, I think everyone is ruining these things for you. Yeah, I know. From the outside, it's so much easier. Exactly, exactly. So again, that really good internal view of um, of her. And in this episode, this scene, sorry, also gets very anarchist. Is Sarai Walker an anarchist? Do we, like the book always had this anarchist undertone, but it gets very explicit here, I find. It super does. And I, I was like, I have some thoughts about it. <laughs> so- <laughs> Please, please go on. Plum is reading Lita's journal and jur- and Lita makes explicit reference to Johann Most. And sorry, the concept that he's famous for, I suppose, is the idea of the propaganda of the deed. So the idea that an action is in itself a message. So let me let me make a nonviolent example of it. You know, if I start a community garden behind my house mm-hmm. and that inspires the people in the next neighborhood to start a community garden you know, that's the deed itself has communicated that message and that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weird fact. So Johann Most, um, also one side of his face was disfigured. Oh, very interesting. By frostbite, I think. And so uh, I thought, okay, is there some symbolism? I'm like half picking up, but not totally picking up about all of these recurring kind of figures uh, who have uh, facial disfigurement. Uh, I, I feel like, the teenage anarchist in all of us uh, likes this scene with Lita. Um, yeah. And I think they also, they talk about so many things I'm interested in, in this scene in such a short time. Um, I mean, Lita says, or I can't remember if it's Plum, that the revolution needs violent output in order to accomplish something, you know, which is, and I think that's what you're talking about, the propaganda, the deed. For them, the deed is sort of the violent output, which we have seen causing this cultural moment not to say that yeah the deed couldn't have been something else like it couldn't have been different types of disruption and and violence doesn't have to be violence against people right like often i think we see in anti-capitalist movements say like violence against business or again you know in a way that's not harming people's physical selves um but maybe like the very idea of capitalism But I also enjoy what they said about communication because I think communication in social justice and activist circles is also very interesting. Uh, At times, people can be like way too theoretical or way too, you know, I don't, I often think that a lot of our great communicators and those sorts of folks go into advertising, right? Because advertising is so good at communicating to us. And what they like about Plum is that she takes these very complicated or rough sounding ideas like to say the revolution needs violent output in 
in a magazine is not is not going to go over well or to say propaganda of the deed. But what they're saying is that Plum has this great ability to take something that um, is smart and make it sound like something a regular like she's a smart person who writes like a regular person. And I love that line. That is like my writing dream to be able to do that. So yeah, this was very, very good fake scene with her and Lita. This is a wonderful scene. Um, and they do pack a lot into what I think is just two or three minutes. Um, so again, it's that sort of intimate friendship. The other thing that's raised here is they talk about, you know, how many women uh, die because of men each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, hey, I wonder, I wonder what our Canadian statistics are, because I think they talk about it being three each day in the United States. And so apparently in Canada so far this year, it's 78 women have died violent deaths. Oh, God. So Yeah, six months. Um, so it's interesting. Just this stuff is in the news all the time, but because it's not... I guess like a war between nations or, or things like that. It doesn't always, um, the numbers don't always resonate as dramatically. I don't find at least in how I kind of perceive media reports. So interesting stuff there. Yeah. I mean, if we, if there were say a terrorist group of some kind killing, you know, over a hundred women a year, 200 women a year, that would be a countrywide epidemic. So, that's something to be said. But let's maybe get into the Jennifer part of the episode. Yeah. Well, first Plum hacks into, I think she's in DOS. I don't know how she's hacked into this system. Um, I do want to say this is a hacker tip and I am not a hacker, but I don't think you're supposed to use your real name when hacking and she uses the name Plum, but that's okay. Not so much. So I consulted with Devlin, who's my um, co-host on Mr. Rewatch, which is a Mr. Robot recap show and he said to me so this software does exist okay uh but this is hollywood hacking yeah he says this like they try to use it kind of like an irc chat this would not happen this way uh and you are absolutely correct you probably shouldn't identify yourself (laughs) so yeah just a bit of hollywood hacking here but it does serve the plot device which is at first i think she's talking to lita but i guess we see that really you know she's reached out to jennifer yeah, she's got a direct line into Jennifer. At one point, she does cut off a piece of her hair. And I think she was just stressed giving herself a haircut. Do you think that's what happened? So I was going to ask that too, because she just seems like she's fidgeting, but she does cut off like a pretty good chunk of her hair. Whenever, and I think, you know, whenever I am having like a real big stress, I dye and or cut my own hair, which is not, you don't, nobody else should do this. But I was like, oh. Oh, here, here, I see you, Plum. I see you stress cutting your hair. I get it. Maybe everyone does this. <laughs> so this is where we cut back, I think, into the current storyline where we get to see the second bunker, the Jennifer bunker. It is a, and this is a real bunker. Uh, I take back everything I said about the other bunker. Well, that was like a nice bunker. Verena's now seems like, you know, four seasons. Um, Cause we are secreted down a hallway in this like dark basement. Everyone is wearing a jacket that looks like it's made of sleeping bags. You know, those like sleeping bag winter jackets. I didn't realize how wintry it was. I don't know if they have heat down there. Um, they're all wearing like toques, like winter hats, all hacking away on satellite computers, 
but next to sewing machines, which is really what I wanted this. I'm so happy it takes place in what I think is some sort of old um, clothing making place. I don't know what you call that, but it is a gross basement. So I have issues at first and these go away, but at first this looks to me like the bunker and like the militia that men would make. That's what I thought. I know. I was like, if I, like, if I were part of Jennifer, say I had those beliefs and I joined, like, I would have prettied the place up, which I, (laughs) I don't know. It's very masculine to not have like a, a welcoming environment, I think. Well, and I also think in any environment where you have a bunch of women and a lot of downtime, like, they're going to improve the place. I know. That's what we do. We've been taught that from birth. The one thing where I thought, oh, okay, this is the women's revolution, is they're all really delighted that, so the women who'd picked up Plum have also brought back this, like, stash of toiletries. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, deodorant and toothpaste. Like, I would be so excited to get toothpaste in a bunker. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, a face wipe. I hope they had some face wipes. <laughs> like, the nice ones. Yeah, like one that's got like a peppermint because you're going to feel sticky. So something that's really going to just like strip all that off. The one thing I find really jarring is they just tell Plum to get some sleep and they'll talk in the morning. And I thought, who could sleep? Uh, me too. I, I can barely, I have like a big insomniac. I can barely sleep on a good, like, let alone in a brand new basement in a room full of other people. That was bananas to me. Like, Get some sleep. We'll talk tomorrow. Oh, sure. Yeah. Give me uh, some more drops to go to sleep. Give me some sleep drops and maybe it'll work. (laughs) I'm just going to tuck into bed. Now back to um, this is a Dominic and Kitty scene. And I take it this is going to be the last Dominic and Kitty scene that we get, at least for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So he has found the Stanley reports that she was so eager to get her hands on. Gotta say that rattle in Kitty's office is enough to make anyone uh, go a little bananas at this point, I think. And yeah, Kitty, you know, Kitty's moving full steam ahead with her Kitty plan to regain all of her power. But Dominic is not, he's not interested in being Kitty's minion anymore. Well, and I don't think he's interested in being Stanley's either. I think he's just out of the game. Which is an interesting, like that turned very fast for me. I don't really remember why he would be doing that. Part of me wonders if he's just a surplus character. Like if they're just trying to write him out in some fashion. Well, or because we know he may be part of Jennifer, (laughs) my favorite theory. (laughs) I love that theory. I see no, (laughs) I'm looking very carefully for it. Um, so, you know, he's probably just going, he's got to go back to the bunker for a while or something, perhaps. When they talk about the reports that they find about Stanley, do you think this is supposed to be like a Gian Gomeshi takeoff? I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, there's also, um, the Fox News guy, I can't remember his name, who I think it would more likely be Fox News guy, because Stanley is not, like, Gian Gomeshi is such a specific kind because he was the front person and he was younger but there was was it roger ailes i'm like maybe naming someone wrong who fox news had kept paying people off i don't think it was roger ailes oh because he was violent with them well because yeah he was not necessarily violent you're right the violence does sound like gomeshi um but it was like a big huge organization like this and he was very harassing to 
a lot of the women's staff. And it later came out just like how many times they just paid women off secretly. So I think that's different than Gomeshi because we know that he didn't, you know, the CBC wasn't exactly in that way, like paying people off to keep quiet. Um, Yeah. There's an interesting part um, where Dominic says that he thinks Kitty and Stanley are made for each other. And I just thought, what a false parallel, Dominic. Like, Kitty might be the worst, but she doesn't have the power to be the worst of the worst. No, and she, you know, um, and then it, it's interesting because uh, Dominic says that Kitty has, like, he would out Kitty for harassing him. That's how he gets off Kitty's hook, is saying that he doesn't think HR would like the way Kitty treats him and comes on to him. And I thought that's probably true. I mean, if he reported that to HR, they would have to investigate it and there would be likely some consequences for her. Um, But I think it's not the same as that systemic power to harass people over the years and have them kept quiet. Like the Stanley situation seems so much more severe to me. Yeah. I mean, Stanley is like, it's a whole organizational like issue. Um, You know, no one, no one deserves like no one should hit on anyone ever in a workplace. Um, even in general, I think, but, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So interesting. Um, I must say Kitty's aesthetic this episode, like I want all of these outfits. Uh, I love them. Right. <laughs> like just the sculptural qualities of, of the costuming were incredible. So points for that. Yeah. And then we go back to the bunker. I think after this, I didn't take a note about the bunker. Yeah, I have a bunker question for you. So, in the bunker, everyone has their like sleeping bags and stuff labeled with the name of a Disney princess, and so I wondered who you would pick. Oh, yeah, I think Ariel. <laughs> yeah, Ariel? I think I I and I don't look, I don't have the Ariel red hair, but that's my favorite um Disney princess. <laughs> who's your Aaron White? Who's your favorite Disney princess? <laughs> My favorite Disney princess is Mulan. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the politically correct choice you're supposed to pick. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the one you should like. Yeah. But the one I think I would be, like, I really feel like I'd be, like, some B-tier, like, Esmeralda in The Hunchback or, like, somebody like that. I really like Merity and Brave as well. Like, if I is she a Disney princess? I think so. I don't know Brave because I'm old. I think it's called. I know it's because I hang out with the child, but um, she was like this Scottish girl. She was very tomboy. She was like a, a kind of, and she has this long red curly hair. It's very beautiful. Oh, cute! I really am into redheads. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you don't like Kitty more. <laughs> um, I can't remember like what percent of the population is a redhead, and then if you look at like the women I've dated, like it's like they're very overrepresented in people I've dated. That's so interesting to me. I know, but I'm going to marry a brunette. It's fine. But I did have like a thing. I don't know. I'm like a terrible man at heart. So that's fine. Aren't we all? Um, uh, What else happens here? Um, So Plum gets taken on a patrol by one of her fellow um, Jennifer comrades. And that's when they learn that I guess they're hanging out in Detroit. Oh, I missed that. (laughs) 
Yeah, so she sees some kind of like billboard for like Motor City or something. So, oh, um, right. That's where Jennifer's currently based. So, you know, far enough from New York where a lot of the attention seems to be. That's a decent drive they took her on, too. Jeez Louise. No kidding. I hope they had snacks. I they know. And like an overnight. I assume they have snacks. Yeah, and I like this this bunker friend she's making. Uh, they're sort of fast friends. And we also get um, a character from the book that I had been wondering when she would make her appearance. So this bunker friend lets slip that um, the one they call Belle is Soledad. Yeah. And so. And that. There's a whole lot of story there. And I'm we only have one episode left. So I don't know what's going to happen. I But I love that actress who plays Soledad. She is from. Orange is the New Black, right? Yeah, yeah. She is from Orange is the New Black. And I I thought, I can't remember her character name in that show or her actual name, but she's amazing. So I'm super excited that she's the one who was cast in that role. I was so happy to see her. Yeah, so a couple, we, we jump around quite a bit as we kind of close out the episode. So Kitty makes a power play. And so I love this moment even though i'm like a bit afraid for her safety after it where she kind of weaponizes all of the information that she has about stanley and every other man on the board of directors at austin media and gets herself appointed ceo i know (laughs) also i want that suit i'm going to find that suit Kitty is like out of control and in the best ways but it's just like she is she is hungry for it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have so, much to add to that. <laughs> I think that's really it. It's a, it's a, She makes a real power play and she wins. Um, but of course, I think we know that she probably won't get to be comfortable for long. No, I mean, yeah, they're going to try to get her back. But for now, it's great. So let's look at, so this is where I'm convinced that Jennifer is in fact the militia that women would build because they're having kind of a consulta about Julia's offer. They are, and they seem, and they're very democratic. um, And yeah, you know, I think what we mostly know of militias and like, we know, we think of them as they have leaders, they have sort of a fascist kind of way of doing things. And this one is not. They're very conversation-based, which is beautiful. What's exposed in this conversation is that Plum is a friend of Julia's. And so they want to know she's been sent kind of as a mole. And she tries to assure them that she's not and that she also knew Lita. Yeah. And it's and it's important to note, I think, that Lita is not here. You know, that maybe we were waiting for Lita in the basement. But... Lita is nowhere to be seen in in the bunker with Jennifer. Um, Yeah. And because as you said, they had that, you know, that power move from Julia about the money. And I really like the discussion they have around it because question, would you take the money or would you continue in your revolution? Well, so and I think real world forces are at play here. Like one of the women says, what if the women who need it took the money, but the rest of us keep fighting? And so, you know, when you think about, I mean, who's going to pay my vet bills? I I know, like, 
uh, unless we're also getting rid of student loans, like I'm going to need to to do something here. And so the pull of that money, and we, I think we see what a impossible choice. I mean, $500,000 is not a little bit of money. So, you know, would I, would I keep fighting? I mean, it, that all depends. That's very contextual. I like to think I'd be, I'd like to think I'd be ideologically pure here, but I can't say that for sure. No, I would not be. I would take the money. <laughs> I would set a part of it aside. Um, I think we have both talked about this dream of being able to own a property where you can rent it out very cheap to people who really need somewhere to live, um, who are have a hard time finding a traditional house. So that's what I would do. Um, I would pay my student loans and I would continue to try to fight from whatever. But no, I mean, I don't think I'd ever make it to the basement because I'm just not tough enough. Um, I, yeah. So Sorry. Sorry, Revolution. Uh, I'm never going to get an invitation to Jennifer now, but that's fine. Actually, you might, though, because if I think about why is Plum really there? I mean, they want her to be their communications director. Right. You know what? Good point. <laughs> like a revolution needs a communications director. Hoping, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Um, I knew. So you might. You might yet. I knew these skills would come in handy someday. Um, a couple more scenes, and we're going to be jumping around quite a bit uh, for the rest of the episode, but Julia's sisters, uh, they're out uh, because, so they've got children to protect and their families, and they're saying it's not worth the risk to them to be part of this anymore. So Julia, I think, is on her own. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how they can just bow out, but uh, it is what it is. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We see on the news that a women's march uh, has been bombed by anti-Jennifer protesters. So the backlash is um, escalating. Yeah, it's it's not good out there in the world. Um, and what else did we have? Oh, we also see a scene from Dominic here. I thought you might like this scene. <laughs> I don't know. Uh <laughs> Okay, maybe I'm being too ruthless because Dominic loses everything. <laughs> I know. And like, I don't not support that. But I also, it's, I think I'm just, I don't care about Dominic, <laughs> to be Got very it. honest. So I don't know why we keep seeing him. Well, I wonder if we'll see him again. So at this point, this is his father-in-law calling him out on getting the information that he gave to Kitty. So basically he's like, you know what? You're a bad detective and you're a bad cop and OPS, my daughter and your children, they're living with me now. So you also have no family. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, that was, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, it's such an old, like weird character to have on this show. Cause it's like this man who can't provide for his family. So, and it's, I don't get it. Like he just doesn't fit with what everyone else is doing. Cause what they're all doing is like revolutionary kind of feminist action. And then here's old Dominic kicked off the police force. Like it just feels like he should be on like whatever Chicago blue blood, like law and order 1995. And this character accidentally wandered onto this set and for some reason we have to watch his storyline play out of this just like it just doesn't make sense to me except wait for it when are men most vulnerable to radicalization <laughs> when they feel like they've lost everything so oh, maybe see- <laughs> this is how he gets to jennifer uh, okay right? no job <laughs> no partner his family's gone he's been emasculated by this other man 
you know, uh, maybe this is how he <laughs> finds his his way to the bunker. Um, you know what? Maybe it maybe it is. Maybe it is. But anyway, what else? So one thing I really like about this show um, is I think they show here with I think with Steven to an extent, but more for Eladio, um, where there is natural reason if you're a good intersectional feminist for women and say queer men of color to be working together for uh, social change. And so do you want to talk about Julia and Eladio at the beauty closet? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So Julia and Eladio are back at the beauty closet. I can't really remember what, what, but Julia is urgently saying like that it's time they have to, they have to do something. And there is my favorite thing in the world, a secret room. And they open the secret room and there's our old friend Lita and she is not, she is not good. She's on a mattress on the floor. She is extremely distraught and she does not seem cognitively there. She's sort of just like babbling and, and there she's been the whole time. One thing that's sort of delightful to me about this uh, is that I mean, she's been hiding in Austin media the whole time. Like right, on, this is the purloined letter. Like she's right under their nose and that's delightful to me, but it's not delightful how damaged she seems to be by the experience. No. And so, you know, that like we get a lot of things. This episode is setting up very well for season finale because a lot of questions are being answered and a lot of characters are kind of being closed or moved forward, I think. So there we go. That's what we know about Lita, you know, and, and, and there's certainly a whole story around her that we'd have to learn, but it's just nice to know where she physically is, especially because we didn't see her at Jennifer. So that answers that question. Um, and I guess, I guess then we get to the, the end scene, always a dramatic ending scene in the show. Such a dramatic ending scene. And this is where, so very, very soap opera, this show and endings, I think. It's true, and I'm into it. Oh, I love a soap opera. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if we should refer to her as Belle or Soledad, but Belle takes Plum out. Um, she had taken her to a firing range earlier in the episode. And now she's got her. So they're standing on a city street in Detroit, and she points out a man that she describes as a child rapist. And so she invites Plum to shoot him, drop the gun, and run for it. And pl- yeah, not just a child rapist. Can I say he is a former Marine who raped four women like in Afghanistan, sent another on a suicide mission and then pays to have sex with an 11 year old girl, which, which is wow. Yeah. Like what a monster. So she sets him up as this absolute monster and that Plum has an untraceable gun in her hand and the opportunity to kill him. Yeah. Which is, which is what? Like, this is, this is, but this is, uh, this is how it goes, I guess. Um, she gets really close. So, you know, she, you know, picks up the gun. She looks through the site. She is just about there when she, and I'm surprised no one catches them mm-hmm. at the point where she kind of screams and like, well, and she's Basically just standing bails. in the street pointing it at this man and he doesn't happens not to look up. Also, I'll tell you, when we the man first walked out of the house, I thought it was Dominic. <laughs> I thought she was gonna have 
Yeah. And so apparently, uh, you know, she can't do it. And it turns out the gun wasn't loaded anyway. And that's just a stranger. And um, Belle Soledad made up this story. I'll tell you, Belle Soledad's real name is Selenis Leva. Um, and we do know her best from um, Orange is the New Black. Also been on a lot of Law and Order episodes. I'm yes, she is. you didn't know that. Oh, okay. Erin <laughs> does also have a Law & Order podcast. Just a hot tip. Um, and yeah, so she's failed this test, which I think is bananas because any good organizational structure knows that not everybody has the same skill set. And <laughs> like, I don't know, I guess like, I don't know a lot about like the um, radical uh, violent extremist groups like so maybe the requirement is that everybody is equally capable of violence but for me that would that's just an underestimation of the, the way humans work together so I think that's bad organizational uh, structuring that they've done I thought it was sort of um, an initiation you know where if if everyone has some blood on their hands then how can you extricate yourself from the situation and so maybe not that everyone has the equal capability, but that everyone has equal willingness could be important because I really do think they just want her to be the communications director. Yeah. And then you don't need, you know, she's already proven herself, I think. Um, but they, you know, I'm going to continue to watch their methods, but she doesn't, she does fail the test. Correct. Like that, that is sort of what Belle says. She does. And so when Plum asks what happens to her, so now Plum has seen a lot of things, um, and she has a lot of information now. So now it's in the hands of the group to decide what happens to her. And that I think this is a really nice setup for the season finale episode where we're going to find out what the group's going to do. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I loved this episode. Me too. And... I I want more and I want to thank the show for every time I'm like, well, I wish they would answer this, giving me those answers because, and you know, I didn't find this episode as like, I didn't have as many like problematic issues with maybe the brand of feminism. I, I thought that they, they handled everything that was controversial at a distance Instead of being like, you know, like the time they told the history of feminism, I was a bit like, oh, I don't know, like if we should say there's one history, but this showed these different perspectives in a way that didn't feel like they were telling one story about what it means to be feminist. So, yeah, let's keep this going. Yeah, give them a second season. Give them a second season. Uh, yeah. And therefore, give us a second season. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So thank you so, so much for listening. Um, our listener numbers um, are through the roof and your feedback is so valuable to us. So engage with us on Twitter at Dietcast. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts. We will be back next week with our season finale episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks.